News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, we choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. I'm pretty sure on this Friday morning, you can't imagine President Joe Biden ever saying anything like, uh, you know, we'll accept truth over facts or facts over truth. I just don't think he understands what he said the first time unless somebody out there puts it on his teleprompter and he can read it at that particular moment. Oh, my goodness. You know what? The insanity is just that. It's insanity. And if we wouldn't laugh at it, we'd probably end up crying about it because it's pretty sad in Washington, D.C. today. Well, good morning, anybody, everybody, whoever's out there. (laughs) We're so thankful you chose to join us on this Friday, and uh, we can kind of try to pick up the pieces of the previous week and kind of put together maybe some meaning of those pieces for the upcoming week. But you know what? Sure would make it a lot easier to do just that if we could get just some facts and nothing else out of our federal government. I'm going to wait a couple of minutes let everybody get aboard that's going to sign in this morning before I share something with you. Let me, let, me, let me just do this. We never do this, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I can. I'm going to look and see who, and I can't tell by names, but I can tell by IP addresses pretty much what city, what continent, what country they're listening in from for all of you. But let me just kind of count the blessings. Wow, we got a big crowd already. Let me tell those of you that have already joined the show, let me tell you something if you haven't already, you need to do. Yesterday, of course, we had our one-hour special kind of an unfolding by Dunstan Teo about what this FTX collapse was really all about. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that what we were told and the way it's been portrayed in the media has nothing to do with the facts of the matter. I'm just going to give you that have already joined the show. Maybe you weren't here yesterday. Maybe you didn't read the article and listen to that one-hour interview that we posted late last night. You haven't heard yet. Let me just pique your appetite. What happened with FTX is directly tied to the Clinton family and is directly, well, maybe indirectly tied, but tied nevertheless to the Biden family syndicate. And it's tied to one president of the nation called Ukraine. It's tied to the fact that all those billions of dollars of taxpayer money, U.S. taxpayer money, that have gone so far, and it seems like every week or so, Joe Biden's sending them another $10 billion to Ukraine. Every one of those dollars 
it was turned into cryptocurrency, supposedly to make it easier for the government of Ukraine to use for their war efforts. But guess what? Not all of those aid dollars that went to Ukraine to fight Vladimir Putin went to Ukraine to fight Vladimir Putin. All of this is discussed not in graphic detail with Dunstan Teo, but if you'll listen to that one-hour segment of TNN Live yesterday, you'll get some more facts about that, and you'll understand a whole lot more. And you'll once again be able to shake your head, SMH, for those of you that aren't up to date as much as I am about how to say things in social media, SMH means shake my head. It's far worse than you think it is. And that is just scratching the surface of the corruption that it is just taking place. Now, did people really lose billions of dollars? Absolutely. How did that happen? They trusted somebody that they shouldn't have trusted. They trusted a young man whose mother, by the way, works for the Clinton family and has for many, many, many years. That's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. The tip of the iceberg. Let me just jar you one more time. The Securities and Exchange Commission, who would ordinarily be taking a quick look-see and a deep dive into the corruption regarding the failure of FTX. FTX, by the way, isn't a cryptocurrency. It's an exchange. It's where people go to exchange dollars for cryptocurrency and even trade other cryptocurrency for different cryptocurrency. It's an exchange. And the SEC was told to stand down, to not even investigate this massive failure of FTX. Who has that power and authority? Really only one person on the planet. And his name begins with J and ends with N. Just when you think you've heard of all the corruption that had exists in this present presidential administration, something new comes out. It shouldn't shock me, but it did yesterday. And if you listen to me in that conversation with Dunstan Teo, when he tells me some of these things, I just get real quiet for a few moments. And I'm trying to quickly digest what he just said so that I don't miss any of the facts of what he just said. And you'll hear me ask him a follow-up. And I'm I'm, I'm sitting there in wonderment, kind of like I've been doing for the last three or four minutes here, because I cannot believe this kind of crap not only happens in the United States of America, but for the reasons that it happens and by the people who not only do it, but by those that let it happen and by others that make it happen without actually being involved in the process. 
It shouldn't shock any of us. I mean, think about it. We've got the Hunter Biden debacle. We've got that laptop. Actually got a couple of Hunter Biden laptops that the media and the Democrat Party hid sufficiently in time, hidden well to protect them and during the 2020 election cycle to make sure they got Joe Biden in the White House thoroughly entrenched there so that he could finish what they wanted him to finish. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. And instead of questioning all that stuff, what we as Americans have got to do is just look at the facts, analyze the facts based on the facts, and instead of waiting for political pontification about the so-called anti-facts, make decisions on the evidence. Make decision on the evidence. Try to keep as much of the emotion out of making decisions as possible. But nevertheless, make decisions based on facts. Now, who, some of you are asking, we've got a big crowd now. Some of you are asking, who's Dunstan Teo? Dunstan is from Singapore. And what does that tell you? What, what, what's the big deal about Singapore? It's China, right? No, Singapore is not even close to China. Well, I guess if you compare Singapore being close to China as uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, <laughs> Singapore is close, but it's way, way, way. It's many hours of flight time to go from Singapore to Beijing, as an example. Many hours. I haven't flown that particular leg, but I flew from Kuala Lumpur to Hong Kong, and it was four and a half, five-hour flight, and it's even further from Singapore uh, to Hong Kong, and Hong Kong's a long way from Beijing, China. Nevertheless, Singapore is the wealthiest nation on the planet per capita without question. Singapore is at the southern tip of Malaysia. It used to be part of Malaysia, but it seceded from the country and became its own country. It's an island, and it's it's not really an island per se, although it technically is because there are water, there's water that surrounds the whole thing, although uh, when I say surround, it's crossing a bridge and being, you know, in another nation. Filthy rich. That's where Dunstan Teo is from. He's brilliant. He's been brilliant since he was a young man. He was a gamer. He still loves gaming. And he is a computer fanatic. He's been on the ground for since the beginning of cyber currency. He's a great Christian man. I know that. I know him factually. I know all about him. I know about his family. I know about all of his businesses, his history. He's probably the most looked into and researched person on the planet, although we don't hear much about him in the United States. He just recently, in fact, in the last couple of months, moved his family from Dubai here. He was in for many, many, many years in Singapore before the government of Singapore began to attack his finances and those of one of his many companies. And he left and went to Dubai. 
He owns more Bitcoin than any other person on the planet. He's been involved with Bitcoin and numerous other cryptocurrencies for the last 20 years. I couldn't even begin to tell you the companies that he has started, the things that he has done in the way of philanthropy. Let me just give you a little quickie. If you were here yesterday or if you've listened to this two-hour conversation, I excuse me, one-hour conversation I had with him yesterday, I asked him about Philcoin. Dunstan's quest is for all people on the planet to never be separated from their ability to conduct financial transactions for themselves and their family members. Now, that's a tall order to be able to make that work, right? We're talking about little villages way out in the middle of nowhere in Africa and South America and islands that hardly even know what a dollar is and maybe never heard of what a dollar is, certainly have no real currency with which to transact. Dunstan decided very early on that that could happen with cryptocurrency as long as as people could be connected to an electronic way of communicating with each other. And so fast forward through that concept, through many iterations of cryptocurrency, and he and a couple of other guys that I've I've met, I don't know them well, but they established Philcoin. Now, what's, what, I mean, cryptocurrency is cryptocurrency, right? No, it's not. Because fundamentally, cryptocurrency can be manufactured by anybody. It's called mining. And I'm not going to get into the the actual details of mining because, quite honestly, I don't know all the details. I don't want to know all the details. I'm not a a computer crypto geek, and I'm going to rely on others for that. I've got people I trust, he being the chief one, to keep me informed on what I should know about cryptocurrency in that world, but you can make crypto coins. It's really an arduous process. It takes a long time, and it's very, very detailed, and you can't create crypto coins in mass. You can't do it, but they can be created. Every cryptocurrency, with the exception of Philcoin. And what does that mean? The whole group that created Philcoin, they created a finite number of Philcoins. There will be no more. There is only one number of Philcoins. They went all in existence on the same day. So what does that mean, Dan? What it means is, What determines the value of something on this planet, everything on this planet? Obviously, it's desirability, it's necessity, it's usages, and the people want it. It's called supply and demand. It doesn't matter how much the supply is, how big, how small, if nobody wants it, if there's no demand for it. But if there is demand, what does that do? When a supply is limited, it makes the value of that item go up and up and up and up, supply and demand. 
Dunstan and his fellow compatriots weren't interested in the millionaires and the billionaires and the big corporations. They weren't interested in that. They were interested about little pastors and blue-collar people that live in maybe third-world countries, maybe second-world countries. I don't, I don't know if I've never heard of a second-world company, uh, country, but if they're first-world and third-world, there's got to be somewhere in the middle. But people that aren't like in the United States of America or in the European Union or in the developed Asian or African nations and cities. But I'm talking about people that really don't have really deep, detailed ways of being able to communicate with each other. But they may have, in almost every place in the planet that has a few thousand people, they have a means of electronic communication. And obviously now it's some version of uh, the Internet. And so their commitment was to create an environment for those people so that they can actually conduct transactions to take care of the needs, to have all the needs for themselves and their family members and people in their towns and villages. That's what Philcoin was created for. Now, I mentioned so that nobody can ever take away that access. How does that work, Dan? Cryptocurrency is established so that Nobody can access any cryptocurrency that you have, that you own. Nobody can access it. The government can't access it. Your bank can't access it. Nobody can get to your cryptocurrency unless you give them access. You personally give them access. How does that work? When you get a Crypto coin, let's just talk about one. It has to go in a wallet. And if you want to have a crypto coin, you have to create a wallet. You can do that in a number of places online. When you create a wallet, that wallet comes with a very long crypto identity that is assigned to that wallet, your wallet. And when you put your crypto coin in that wallet, it goes in there and nobody else can touch it. In fact, the people that created that wallet, the ability for you to make it, they can't even touch it. The only person that can use that crypto coin is you. And it's on deposit in your wallet. So what can you do with it? Whatever you want to do with it. You can buy something. You can give it away. You have one crypto coin. It's yours. And I'm simplifying the process to make sure you understand how critical it is for us moving forward. And the critical thing is we are living in a daily increasing top-down government atmosphere in every country around the globe. If you don't think that your government knows how much money you have and how many accounts, personally and corporately, you're smoking something and you need to put it out and listen. Banks don't control your money. 
the regulators of banking control everything about it. Do you know that right now, if you have if you have a million dollars in a bank account anywhere in the United States, because you have it in a bank account in the United States, your government can go tap it tomorrow and you can't legally stop them from doing that. New banking regulations passed very quietly. They're in place. They're in place right now, and that very thing is happening over and over again. You need to very quickly get yourself versed on the ins and outs of cryptocurrency. I don't know how much Dunstan Teo is worth. I don't know how much those other three gentlemen that co-founded Philcoin with him are worth, but it's, it's a lot of money. I do know he became a millionaire at age 14, and he was self-made. I know that he has personally started dozens of crypto coin companies and that he has hundreds of billions of dollars worth of bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies that I know about. Now, what does that mean? I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to tell you. Here's a guy that, by the way, is one example. He told me this story. The government of Singapore, and the reason he and his family left Singapore is he gets to the office one morning and gets a phone call from his banker and says the Singapore government just grabbed $200 million out of his one of his corporate accounts and says, too bad, it's gone. And so what had he done in preparation for the possibility of that happening? He had moved a bunch of his wealth into cryptocurrency that was in wallets that all belonged to him. He was the only person that had access to them. And any time from anywhere on the planet that he had internet, he could access his wallets where hundreds of billions of his dollars were in various crypto coins deposited in those wallets in those different crypto companies. And he moved his family from there to Dubai. The only thing he lost was the $200 million the Singaporean government took from him. They couldn't stop him from taking any of his other assets away. Why? Because they were all in his crypto wallets. And again, you can go into a airport lounge in, oh, I don't know, Monroe, Louisiana at the airport. If they've got internet, you can access your crypto wallet instantaneously that you may have opened when you lived in uh, Singapore. And the Singaporean government doesn't even know about it. They have no legitimate way to even demand to have knowledge of it. And even if they demanded it, unless you decided to give it up, they'd never get it. And even knowing that it's there, they can't access it. All of that played into what happened with FTX. I'm just telling you. A huge part of that debacle was perpetrated by people in our government that want to see cryptocurrency worldwide fail. They don't like it. They don't want it to grow. They don't want it to become a currency that will be used within villages or within countries. 
because that would mean the government finds themselves out of control of the money of the citizens, and the citizens would control it, and the citizens don't have to answer to the government about how much they have and even where it is and certainly how to access it. Once again, cryptocurrency in your wallet can only be accessed by you. Now, there's some downside there, and it happened to me. Years ago, when Bitcoin was just established, cryptocurrency was just getting rolling. That would be probably, what, 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago? My company's computer network was locked down by some of those infamous Russian hackers over there. And they demanded ransom from us to unlock our computer network, threatened to wipe it, gave us only so many hours to pay the ransom in Bitcoin. I didn't have a clue what Bitcoin was, but here was the danger for us. We do a lot of work with hospitals, big clinics around the nation, and we're connected to their financial networks as they are to ours. And I panicked when I heard this because I could only imagine if this piracy group accessed these hospital computer systems through our system. It would destroy my company. So naturally, I complied. How did I comply? I went to my bank and said, what the heck is Bitcoin? And explained to them what was going on. And the ransom was for so many Bitcoins. I don't remember the exact number, but I bought at least twice of the Bitcoin that they were demanding to make sure I had enough. And I had no clue what Bitcoin was. At that time, I think a Bitcoin was worth $200, $300, $400. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't worth what it is today and what it has been at one point over the last few years. I had to create a wallet put it in my wallet, and then I transferred the number per the instructions of the uh, the Russians that had hacked us, transferred it into their wallets or wallet, and thankfully they unlocked our computer network. So what happened to those other Bitcoins that I had bought? Well, they were in that wallet. What did I just tell you about it? Nobody can access it. You have to have and you have the only access to it. There's only one way in. And if you lose that access to your wallet, Bitcoin, the company, can't do anything about it. It's there, but they can't do anything about it. That's exactly what happened to me. And so how much money did I lose? I haven't lost it yet. I just, I know where the wallet is. I don't have the the access to get into my wallet and do something with my Bitcoin, and nobody else does either. I've actually hired experts, I mean real experts, to try to crack it. Hadn't been able to do it. How much is it? I'm pretty sure it's several hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin now. Maybe someday there'll be a miracle and it'll show up somewhere. I'm just giving you that story to illustrate how safe and secure cryptocurrency is. I asked, I guess maybe the last time 
Dunstan Tao was on our show. He's been on with us now, I think, four times. I asked him how much of my income, how much of my ready cash, how much of yours should you put in cryptocurrency? And his estimate was for security purposes to keep in what's called fiat currency. That's what we have in the United States, which means we have dollars, and those dollars are just pieces of paper. They're not worth each of them a dollar. They're worth something, but that's called fiat currency. There's nothing really there but a piece of paper. And he replied, keep two months of quote-unquote cash. In other words, what's in your checking account, your uh, savings account. Keep it in fiat, but put the rest in cryptocurrency that only you can access and you have 100% control of. So I've started in that direction, per his direction. And there's security that comes with that. Plus, uh, you can you, today, just as an example, you can go to the local Mercedes dealer and buy a S550, $140,000 car, and you can pay for it with Bitcoin. In Zurich, Switzerland, if you go to an ATM machine, there's a Bitcoin machine in there that you can deposit into or take cash out that it converts automatically into whatever currency you need that particular moment. This is the world in which we live, folks. We need to awaken. And I'm 69 years old. I don't consider myself a genius, but I'm certainly not an idiot, but I can understand it sufficient for me to make decisions based on that. Now, this has been a long explanation, but it is extremely important for you, everybody listening in today, everybody reading our stories, everything you can find and digest about Dunstan Teo, D-U-N-S-T-A-N. His last name is T-E-O. I encourage you to do it. Learn as much as you can. He will be regularly with us here at TNN Live. We have now a very, very close and trusting relationship with each other. He is a great Christian. He through his, he's a very young guy. I've never asked him his age. I'm going to guess he's in his 30s. He doesn't even brag about anything if you're with him. You never think he has a dime. He is a philanthropist. He gives away, listen to what I'm going to say, not millions, but billions. And he does it because that's what his life's commitment is to. And Philcoin is one of those things. Now, what's the big deal about Philcoin? Let me tell you what's going on. They're putting in the hands of little pastors out in the middle of villages in the continent of Africa 
in South America, they're putting in those little pastors' hands cell phones with which they can connect to low-power um, 2G cell towers that are being put up by uh, many people in all kinds of different areas of the, the planet. The idea is to connect everybody to the Internet. And when those pastors can connect those phones that Dunstan has put in their hands, they can have a crypto wallet. They can have a Philcoin wallet in which you or I, as long as we have access and the key is not to give access into the wallet, but an address of the wallet in which we can instantaneously transfer some of our crypto into their wallet. We can support ministries all over the world like that without ever them having to come to our churches or get on a television show, fly below the radar screen, and present Jesus to the world. It's happening. It's been happening. I told the story, I guess, last week that this group did a little plan. They did a test with a little village in India that was totally isolated. No banks, nothing for 30 or 40 miles. But you had a couple of thousand people that lived there. How did they transact? They did it the best way they could, barter. I have something. You have something I want or need. I'll give you what I have in exchange for what you have that I need. They went in and they set up at their expense a Starlink satellite, low-power, low-level satellite operation above that village. And they seeded into each family a certain number of crypto coins with which everybody in that village tied into And overnight, they began to transact that way. And it worked flawlessly. That is beginning to very quietly encircle the globe. I encourage you to get involved. Learn what you can. Become a sponge. There's a lot of good things out there that you don't know about. Many that I don't know about. But we're learning. We'll learn together. And we're going to do good for a lot of people. If you just walk through that process that I just told you and think about the possibilities for you in your life, in your business, in your personal life, it'll change you and it'll make you think differently and put you in an area where you can absolutely be free of the fear that many of us, the older we get, we have about financial security in the future. Wow. You know, I didn't intend to start the show that way today, but I felt like I needed to. I felt like there's somebody or somebody's that is listening in that needed to hear that. It's a reality, folks. We got to learn to live in it or we're going to live with it out there and we'll see it happening, but we won't be part of it. We'll be in fiat currency world, totally relying on people like, uh, Joe Biden. 
Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Oh, oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. My fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Kind of a nice little uh, get set for the weekend sound. You like that? I like that kind of music. In fact, uh, I keep hitting the wrong button. <laughs> I was going down trying to... Uh, Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week Magazine. That's not who I wanted to listen to. Oh my gosh. You have chaos in your week? Let me tell you where I got this. I got this. This is Daniel Ho. H-O. I was on... The island of Maui, probably 15 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. And uh, as girls do, the girls are shopping this little town on the northwest side of Maui. And um, I went into an art shop with a friend of mine that was with us. And they had this this, um, I guess it was a basket sitting out with some CDs. 
And this particular CD was just sitting there. And I asked the guy behind the counter, I said, what kind of music is this? And he kind of chuckled. And he said, it's the kind that when things aren't going your way or you're really, really busy, it's the kind of things you want to listen to. <laughs> so I didn't think much about it. But I bought it. I bought it. I wish I'd have bought several. I bought it and uh, went and got in the rent car. Girls were in the back seat gapping. And I just stuck this in and when it came up, I turned it up a little bit. And all of a sudden in the car, all the yapping went away. And as we were driving, I mean, this, you can't make this up. We're driving east, no, west to east on the North Shore, right along the ocean. And if you know anything about Maui, you know the North Shore, there's some big waves, very beautiful out there. And certain times of the day, they will be out in the water. There'll be dozens of kite surfers just out there on these big waves. And they have these kites and the wind will blow. And they're on a, a ski, of course, in the water. And the wind will take them up out of the water. And it all sounds like this. Oh, my gosh. Does that make you want to go to sleep? <laughs> I didn't mean to put you to sleep in the show today. To be honest with you, I accidentally pushed the button. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm a I'm a I'm a, a tech geek. Everybody that knows me personally knows that. I just recently, actually a couple of months ago, we're transitioning in the studio from one type of equipment to another type. And key to all of that is the console where everything kind of goes into. You know, you got computers hooked up to it. You have uh, communications equipment hooked up to it. You have the ability to play commercials, play interviews, all those kind of things. And, of course, microphones. And there's a company called Rode, R-O-D-E. Many of you that are musicians or know anything about musical stuff, they're have always been Rode microphones that are very good microphones, but they've gotten into the electronic console business. And so I decided to transition to totally digital, a Rode Pro, excuse me, a Rodecaster Pro 2 console. And it's incredible what the abilities of it are. And we're just finding out about some of them. But in the middle of all of that, I, uh, in the midst of chaos one day in the studio, I decided I was going to hook the Rodecaster Pro 2 up. And the first thing I did was load that CD that I just played that one song from. I, uh, I pulled it up and I played it. And when I played it, I just went. O-M-G. What a way to have going all day long in the background in the studio. Listening to this. <laughs> and listen, folks. Don't throw rocks at your computer or don't think ugly things about me. I don't know you. Right now, I'm sure I have friends that are listening in, but 
right now you're just an IP address to me. That's all I can see about you. But I'm going to say something to every one of you, and there are thousands that are listening. You need this kind of spirit for a few minutes on this Friday to sweep through your ears and your brain. No matter how big it is, no matter how horrible it might be, at the end of the day, guess what? Your creator is still in charge. And your creator hasn't changed the waves, the wind. I guarantee you, on the North Shore of Maui today, they sound just like this. Still, they sounded just like this, I guarantee, a hundred years ago. And a hundred years from now, if this globe on which we live is still in existence, they're going to sound just like this, just as good. Throw in a little guitar, cup of coffee, and I'm going to offend somebody when I say this, but maybe a good cigar. What a way to relax. I learned a lot from people in Hawaii. I've been there numerous times over the last 20, 25 years. People say, oh, they're too slow. They don't like to work. Their work ethic is not uh, like ours. That last part may be true, but they're not slow. And uh, on the most part, They've got things figured out that you and I don't have figured out. (laughs) And that's how to, on a Friday, just sit quietly. Or maybe not quietly, but listen to this in the background. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to move on? Let's move on. Let's get into the uh, ugly, non-wavish stuff some things that you need to think about as we move into your weekend. Yesterday, a federal appeals court ruled that U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon, you remember Ms. Cannon is the judge down in Florida, this uh, federal appeals judge, or this group of judges on this appeals, appeals court, ruled she did not have the legal authority to appoint a special master to review the documents the FBI took during the raid of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. This appeals court rendered this, quote, the law is clear. We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigations after the execution of a warrant, nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. That came from a three-judge panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals, 11th Circuit. They issued their decision after Trump's lawyers and government lawyers presented some oral arguments in front of the court last month. And I'm going to give you a direct reading from the Washington Post. You can believe it's accurate or not. It's up to you. Here we go. During oral arguments, government attorneys Sopan Joshi call the decision to name a special master an intrusion on the executive branch. But James Trustee, an attorney for Trump, 
said the special master appointment didn't significantly hamper the government's criminal probe. Trustee said the search of Mar-a-Lago was conducted in a carte blanche manner with agents taking personal items, including golf shirts and a photo of singer Celine Dion. In their opinion, the judges rebuked a central part of the argument by Trump's legal team that the Presidential Records Act allowed Trump to categorize presidential documents as personal ones, creating the need for a special master to determine whether personal documents should be shielded from investigators. So this ruling, we knew it was going to happen. It came as Special Master Raymond Deary was expected to finish his review of the documents this month. There are more than 13,000 documents seized by the FBI. Roughly 100 of them were reportedly marked classified. The 11th Circuit judges noted the extraordinary nature of the raid on Trump's estate, but said not in a way that affects our legal analysis or otherwise gives the judiciary license to interfere in an ongoing investigation. Now, this court's based in Atlanta. They vacated Judge Cannon's order appointing Special Master Deary and remanded the case to her courtroom to dismiss Trump's lawsuit. Now, what does all this mean? What can the former president do now? Well, he has the option of appealing the 11th Circuit's decision to the Supreme Court. However, absent a stay from another appeal, the 11th Circuit's decision is set to go into effect in seven days from yesterday. A Trump spokesman called the court's decision purely procedural and said it is based only on jurisdiction. The panel's decision today, he said, is purely procedural and based only on jurisdiction. The decision does not address the merits that clearly demonstrate the impropriety of the unprecedented, illegal, and unwarranted raid on Mar-a-Lago. Now, what does all this mean? I'm a novice, I'm not an attorney, and I'm certainly not a uh, constitutional attorney. But here's what I do know. There are tons of precedents regarding the powers of a president while in office and even after leaving or as they are leaving to classify or declassify any document, period. There is nothing in the Constitution that breaks out the process and says this can be done, this can be done, but this can't be done. It doesn't exist. There is in abundance presidents that have been tested all the way up to the Supreme Court in our past that give and recognize that the executive branch has that authority. Now, what does this mean regarding Donald Trump? I think, to be honest with you, I really think that Trump's uh, attorneys were hoping this would happen to be the fuel that they could get to take it to the Supreme Court because of the precedence of a president being able to just, without going through some other ordinary classified process that is in place for government regular employees regarding handling of classified documents, 
but they don't apply to a sitting president. That president can determine if a document is classified or not. Totally up to that person. Moving on, let's switch gears and talk about China for a minute. Why does China keep coming up over and over and over again? On Thursday's broadcast of Bryant Kilmeade's show, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, he said that Joe Biden's approach to the protest in China is very similar to what Barack Obama did back in 2009 during the last big protest in Iran. And Tom Cotton pointed out when Obama did that, Obama later admitted it was a mistake. Cotton said, I think it goes back to Joe Biden's unwillingness to stand up to the Chinese communists. Frankly, like he refused to stand up throughout the Cold War as a senator to the Russian communists as well. It's very similar to what Barack Obama did in 2009 during the last big protest in Iran as well. Obama recently apologized for remaining silent during those protests, but it was not a mistake. This is Senator Cotton talking to Brian Kilmeade. This was not a mistake. It wasn't a new or a naive or inexperienced president caught flat-footed. It was a ruthless plan in pursuit of his main goal, which was to apologize for what he viewed as America's sins against Iran to get a nuclear deal and to pull in America's horns and have a grand wrap of, of, uh, uh, approach with Iran. You see the same thing happening today, I think, with China. Joe Biden doesn't think or he doesn't want to risk, I don't know, the possibility of a climate change agreement with China by speaking out behalf, on behalf of those brave Chinese protesters. Now, I think maybe Senator Cotton has given Joe Biden a little more credit. I don't think Joe Biden can think that far ahead or does think that far ahead, and I don't think he's making policy decisions on his own. I believe there is someone or there are some ones in his administration that are making all of or most of such policies and then giving them as is necessary to the president, but only as needed whenever absolutely needed. Now, that's my opinion, but I see it happening every day, and you do too, looking for explanations. What's going on? What's really happening? What's behind the scene? When most of the time, folks, With this president, there's nothing behind the scenes. He's just doing what he's told. Who's pulling the strings of Joe Biden? Do you think we'll ever really know? Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. 
We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Uh, I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates, now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Whether or not we or anyone else in the nation, any leaders in the nation, whether we or they want to accept the fact, it is a fact, China is the largest threat on the planet to the United States. It's not Vladimir Putin. It's not. It's Xi Jinping and China. And it looks like everybody on the planet, with maybe the exception of uh, Joe Biden, gets that and understands it. And we've got some leaders in some really big places, leadership like in the National Basketball Association. Um, They're playing right into China's hands. And they have been. And why, oh, why is the NBA all up into China? And why is China all up into the NBA They're there because the NBA has been telling us for years in China, oh my gosh, professional basketball, that's all there is. They're all in for professional basketball. There's no doubt about it. That's partially true. But what's really true is China looks at the NBA as a way to infiltrate America with a lot of different things that they want the American people to just benignly accept. Here it is. You're going to have China. China's involved in the NBA, have been for decades, making tennis shoes. These NBA stars are making bazillions of dollars with these representation contracts with China. And folks, there is no private corporation in China. None. There are lots of companies, but maybe quietly, but always it is known and accepted by people all around the globe. The Chinese Communist Party runs the boat. They're the captain of the ship. It doesn't matter what ship it is. They're in it, and they're controlling who does what and who doesn't do what. 
And it's no different when it comes to the NBA. Also, Apple. Now think about it. Tons of Apple products are actually done totally in China and then shipped to the United States and other countries on the planet to be sold and distributed. Parts manufacturing, assembly, all those kinds of things. Tim Cook. You know who Tim Cook is? He's the leader of Apple. And here we are today. We're looking at China as an enemy, and every day it becomes more and more obvious they are our enemies. We have titans of industry that are applauding China. Tim Cook happens to be one of those guys. Dave Rubin pointed it out yesterday. It's not fun talking about Apple. I've got one of these things. I get it. It's in everyone's pocket. It's probably spying on me right now. It could post what I'm doing on the internet. That would be weird. Uh, Here's Apple CEO Tim Cook in 2017 praising China and talking about how their leadership aligns with his. Um, China's done an unbelievable job of lifting people out of poverty. They've done an incredible job, I mean, far beyond uh, what any country has done. We were talking about 19, mid-90s to today. The biggest change is the number of people that have been pulled out of poverty by far. And we should all applaud that. And we should all feel good about it. And so there are, in, in the environmental leadership today, is very clear, and it aligns completely with Apple's values. The, the Chinese uh, the uh, environmental Chi- leadership, yes, the government. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're very fixated on, on uh, doing the right things to avert climate change. And this is something that means a lot to us as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we always try to do is find the areas where you can work together, find the areas of commonality, and then the things that you disagree with, take time to understand how somebody sees it. And if I'm going to get criticized for that, then so be it. So it's really interesting here. First off, uh, China right now is opening more coal plants than any other country on earth. But he likes, again, this is back in 2017, he likes China because of what they're doing with green energy, Uh, But what he really likes is the same thing that the NBA likes. He's a businessman, and I don't besmirch him as a businessman. A businessman is in the business of business. Apple is a company. It wants to make money, and what do companies do? Once you've exhausted the amount of people that you can make money from in the United States, right? They've kind of hit the limit. Most of us have iPhones. Most of us have their products. You might pay for iMusic or iTunes or whatever it is, or you're downloading movies. Then they have to find new markets to go to. So China is a massive market in that they've got billions of people over there. Uh, here's some info from Bloomberg on uh, on the coal plant situation, because again, he's praising them for going green. This is from September of 22. Uh, China put more new coal plants into operation last year than the rest of the world combined, and its proposed coal mines account for almost a third of the global total. Bizarre that I don't see Tim Cook talking shit about them today. Very, very weird. And so I wanted you to hear that that, uh, Dave Rubin analysis of Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and how Apple views China. So many other companies over here, they are kind of in a conundrum. China, they know, is a communist 
country-run communist country from top to bottom. Biggest country on the planet, everybody in it, is at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party that's run by Xi Jinping. And so they have so many things that they control. Do you know that almost every bit of the medicine that you take, I'm talking about pharmaceuticals, the kind you get um, prescriptions for from your doctor, with almost no exceptions, that comes from China. And so just think for a second, if China wanted to kneecap the United States, they could do it in a number of ways, but the first way they could would be to just cut off all our pharmacy. No pharmacal products would come from China into the United States. That would be number one. There are dozens of others. Most of, I don't even know what they are, but they're out there. They're very important. And China's not made up of that old stereotype of a little Chinese guy with, you know, the cone kind of hat that they're wearing. And they're pulling, they're standing in front of rickshaws, pulling somebody through a little village. It's not that at all. It is a very, very current, very literate country. And they're into everything worldwide. They are a power to be considered. We need to factor them into every major decision we make as a nation. But when you have feckless leadership in a country, people like Xi Jinping and his leaders, fellow leaders in in China, they look at us and they don't look at us like they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. We were what they wanted to aspire to be. And so they began to learn everything they could from us and to take everything they learned from us to newer levels and then add on to the things they learned from us. And they are far more developed in most every area than are we in the United States now. What does Joe Biden think about that? Well, I can tell you this, Joe Biden is corrupted. Every few days, he makes decisions on things that prove again and again that he's not being um, disciplined in making those decisions as they pertain to involvement with China because he's convoluted. If for no other reason his son has massive business dealings in China, if it doesn't even impact the president personally, it makes no difference at this point if it does or doesn't. What we do know is the decisions that Joe Biden makes as president about China and things to do with China, they are slanted because of Hunter Biden, his sons, well-known now business dealings, call them unethical, whatever you want to call them, but nevertheless, business dealings with Chinese companies. Oh, those are Chinese companies, Dan. That's not the government. Two different things. No, 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 no. It is the same thing. No company in China exists without Xi Jinping's buy-in. They don't operate. They don't do anything, especially internationally, without the Chinese Communist Party being involved in it. So Tim Cook, 
as you heard him say personally, boys, 2017, oh my gosh, China, 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 China. They're this, they're that, they're wonderful. Well, they are because they buy a lot of stuff from him. Not only do they buy a lot of stuff from Apple, they produce a lot of things for Apple. I don't even have any clue how many pieces in your iPhone originated in China, but it's very safe to say most of them, most of them did. So Jim Jordan Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio. Now, he's going to be a key figure in the new Congress starting January 3rd. I believe he's going to be the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. I'm pretty sure it's that one. Maybe it's the House Oversight Committee. But he is going to be in a position of power. You never wonder how Congressman Jim Jordan thinks about anything. But about China? Uh... We'll let you decide. Now, Congressman Jim Jordan spoke with Apple CEO Tim Cook today. Apparently, he might have even talked and spoken. But anyway, on Capitol Hill, he joins us now with more. Uh, Walk us through what happened today. What do you think? Well, a good conversation. But but like you, Sean, and like millions of Americans, I still have real concerns about China, communist China, and what they're doing with, with companies not only in America, but all over the world. I mean, you're talking about Apple, Nike, TikTok, concerns about what their influence on the NBA. And frankly, Sean, I don't think we should ever forget that in addition to Dr. Fauci lying to us about the virus, so did the Chinese. And that's where this thing started. So we have to have concerns about China in all these areas. Um, So I I felt it was a productive conversation, but I am still very nervous about the impact and influence China has in so many areas of our economy and in our culture. We're going to wean ourselves away from imports from China and have more production domestically. What happened to that? Well, what happened to that is you had 51 intelligence officers sign a, uh, a letter saying that this Hunter Biden story was Russian misinformation when it wasn't. And that changed. I think anyone can make a credible argument that that altered the outcome of the election. And we no longer have Donald Trump in the White House because he was doing that. He was pushing back on China for the first time. And now we have Joe Biden there and it's went exactly the opposite direction. So that's what happened. That's why this is all connected, because the influence of big media, big tech um, and and big government in impacting our election. I, I think we said this last week, Sean. My colleague said this in the committee a few weeks ago, Matt Gates. He said, when is the FBI going to stay out of elections and let we the people decide? In 2016, they spied on Trump's campaign. 2018, it was the Mueller investigation. 2020, they suppressed the Hunter Biden story. 2022, 91 days before the midterm election, they raid his home. And now, just two weeks ago, three days after he announces for the 2024 race, they name a special counsel. And it's not just anybody. It's Jack Smith and the record that he has of weaponizing the government to go after the people. So all this is connected. And this is why it's so important. We're aggressive and go after it and make sure the country gets the facts. So Elon Musk is going to show us how uh, the forum, Twitter, suppressed information and how it influenced our elections. Okay, what do you think we're going to find out there? And how does that dovetail into your investigation if our FBI has been politicized and DOJ weaponized? 
Well, we know Twitter did the same thing, that it was it was pushing down, uh, throttling back information about the Hunter Biden story. But it probably did a lot more. It probably went after conservatives and things they were saying and made sure that those comments, that information didn't get to the country and the citizens of this great country. So we assume that's what he's going to show. But we also know just the overall bias there. Uh, he's I mean, the, what was it, a couple days ago? It was the stay woke T-shirts and things that he had that, that that Twitter had there. So Elon Musk is doing a service to the First Amendment, doing a service to the Constitution, doing a service to the country. And I think, frankly, the world in that he is bringing this all to light. Do you believe, based on what you know now, that you have enough whistleblowers that will confirm to the American people that the FBI plays favorites, that we have a dual justice system, that it has been politicized, and will there be any consequences for those people that are playing politics with what really should be the world's premier law enforcement agency? I do think it's political. I think the evidence is there. Uh, we've had, as you know, multiple whistleblowers, dozens of whistleblowers come to us and Senator Grassley. They're willing to do that because I think they trust us and they know how bad it is. We're going to get the facts out there. That's all we can do. But that's the first step. You have to expose it if you're going to stop it. We're committed to doing that. Let me just draw your attention to something. We're either First Amendment people or we're not. There's nothing in the middle. Of course, we all profess to be, and uh, then somebody says something or allows something to be said, and you kind of go, well, I wish they would have, they being whoever was in charge, maybe it was the government, maybe it was a private entity, we, we think maybe, I just wish they would have not let that be said or not let that be done or not let that be reported. Look, it works this way. The Constitution guarantees us that we have the right to free speech. Now, it doesn't guarantee us that we have the right to say anything if we're an employee, as an example, of a big company. What the First Amendment says, we have the guarantee that the government will not abridge anything that we say. The government won't. And of course, that was the big hoo-ha for the last few years about Twitter before Elon Musk bought it. Twitter, Google, to a lesser degree, Facebook, and how they were censoring things that people were posting, people were saying, people were sharing, tweeting, and all those kinds of things. They would grab them and shut them up. And of course they would say when they were questioned about it, you can't do that. We have the first amendment. Well, the first amendment and the rules regarding the first amendment explicitly pertain to the government censoring speech of the American people, the government, not private companies, the capitalist marketplace is who governs what private companies do and holds those private companies accountable for what they do. They either like it or they don't like it, and they'll turn and walk away from doing business with that private company. So that's the way the marketplace works commercially. But government-wise, the government has no right to abridge 
free speech, period, the First Amendment. So look at the conundrum that we find ourselves in. Elon Musk comes back and he says, we're going to do away with uh, all of the censoring. Well, then all of a sudden, the left in Congress, principally some in the Senate, they've started the war cries again about censoring misinformation or censoring hate speech. And we need to put our hands in there and manipulate it to make sure that Elon Musk is not letting anybody say anything. We've got all of those evil mega maga people that are lying. They're saying this, they're saying that, and it's hurting people. We've got to stop it. And they're actually planning legislation to do just that. Wait a minute. Isn't that free speech? I've heard this my entire life. You probably have heard it worded this way too. The First Amendment, freedom of speech, what it really means, it gives you the right to say anything to anybody about anything, even if it makes somebody mad or hurts someone. You have the right to say it. We either have that or we don't have free speech. And if the government or any government entity steps in and abridges that, that is a direct violation of the First Amendment. And so here's Elon Musk. He's coming in. And these same people in Congress are crying about Xi Jinping and what they're doing to these protesters that are out in the streets. They've got Apple iPhones and the way that they participate is Apple, um, where they can transfer it from iPhone to iPhone without going through the internet. It's phone to phone, standing in the streets, airplay. And Xi Jinping has clamped down on it. He's got Apple to clamp down on it. Well, to be honest with you, that would be a violation of our First Amendment if it, if it happened. But isn't that the exact same thing that people like Senator Elizabeth Warren have been preaching that we need to stop hate speech. Who defines what is and what isn't hate speech? What's hate speech to one person is the truth to someone else. Once again, we've allowed our government to create an environment and allowed the media to continue to perpetrate it, which is will propagate lies. We'll tell lies, and we're going to do it because we have the First Amendment right of free speech. As a private corporation, Twitter, Facebook, Google, they're all private. They can pretty much say whatever they want to do and stop anybody in their private operations from saying anything the owners want them to not say. It's either free or it's not. And this government, the one that's in power right now in this presidency, they want the unfettered ability to determine what can be written, what can't be written, what can be exposed in media, what can't be exposed in media. 
and what can't be said and what can be said and to make the penalties so egregious that nobody would dare disagree with them. That's trampling all over the First Amendment. Are we going to stand for that? Uh, That's a decision. That's a choice we're going to have to make. And we're going to have to make it pretty quickly. Because between now and the end of this administration, two years, the 2024 elections, they're going to test it. They're going to see just how far the American people are going to let the government go to abridge our First Amendment. I promise you. We've seen really flawed attempts to do it, but they're doubling and tripling down on it now, on everything, because they know their time is short. They got to make hay while the sun's shining. And it's about to, in some cases, start raining on the Biden administration and others that are in power in Washington, D.C. And they know it. So they're going to clamp and push and denigrate everybody who disagrees with them like they never have. You watch. You watch what is happening. Now, what's going on over in Southeast Asia? Something that uh, it kind of confirmed where some of the thinking is in our administration. China has stepped up its military activities around Taiwan, including some missile launches over the island nation. And that all started after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, a democratic island, earlier this year. And the Chinese government was dead set against it. They did everything they could to discourage Pelosi from doing it. While the level of their activities has gone down since then, it is not where it was before her trip. I don't see an imminent invasion of Taiwan by China, one expert has said. I think what we do see is sort of the People's Republic of China establishing kind of a a new normal in terms of the level of military activity around Taiwan following Pelosi's visit. We've seen them sort of trying to set this new normal where the Taiwan Strait centerline crossings have become increasingly sort of routinized. The official said, I don't even know if routinized is a real word. Those used to be something that the PRC reserved for relatively rare occasions when they wanted to send some sort of a political signal. That gives us a concern, even though we don't see an imminent invasion, obviously, about sort of an elevated level of intimidating and coercive activity around Taiwan. This official suggested that China's activities are in conflict with U.S. policy. Our policy supports a status quo, whereby neither China nor Taiwan makes any unilateral moves in regard to whether Taiwan is a separate country or part of mainland China. It's an issue from a U.S. policy perspective, because we've got a long-standing approach that says we oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo by either. And we expect that cross-strait differences will be resolved by peaceful means, whatever they are, whenever they are. And sort of in contrast to that, we see the People's Liberation Army doing things like the increased crossings over the center line, behavior that appears to be intended to kind of intimidate or sort of wear down Taiwan, which obviously is just not what we want to see. So I'm getting to the point of this, but I wanted to lay the 
foundation for this. The Pentagon on Tuesday released its yearly assessment of China's military as is required by Congress in order to help policymakers stay focused on its development and capabilities as China seeks to become the world's leading superpower by 2049. Now, the the report is classified. The Pentagon releases an unclassified version of it every year. The nearly 200-page unclassified report provided the Pentagon's in-depth assessment of China's military goals, their plans, their strategies, and resources. The assessment focused on 2021, though, included some notable developments in 2022. In one section on Taiwan, the report said that throughout 2021, the PLA conducted more frequent and realistic island seizure exercises than they had before. It said the People's Liberation Army conducted more than 20 naval exercises with an island capture element, greatly exceeding the 13 observed the previous year in 2020. Many of these exercises focused on combat realism and featured night missions, training in adverse weather conditions, and simultaneous multi-domain operations, it said. There were also repeated PLA flights into Taiwan's self-declared air defense identification zone. In addition, the report said the PLA is preparing for a contingency to unify Taiwan with the People's Republic of China by force, if perceived as necessary by Beijing, while simultaneously deterring, delaying, or denying any intervention by a third party, like, you know, the United States and or other like-minded partners on Taiwan's behalf. The report suggests the exercises were part of a comprehensive campaign to pressure Taiwan and Taiwan President Xi Ingwen's administration, which has supported Taiwanese independence and to also signal displeasure with growing U.S.-Taiwan ties. So in other words... Joe Biden, he's all about Taiwan. Oh, yeah, Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan. We support him. We support him. But then Joe Biden beat his chest, thumping it when House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced she was going to visit Taiwan. And why did he thump his chest? I mean, Taiwan is an ally of the United States. Always has been. And we're their ally. We have agreements with them. We have agreements with a, a two independent country agreement, the People's Republic of China and the Republic of Taiwan, separate, totally separate. But when Speaker Pelosi was basically warned by Xi Jinping's China government, You don't need to be coming and visiting to Taiwan. It will look like you're trying to escalate tensions between Taiwan and China. Pelosi basically said, uh, I want to come. I'm going to come. I'm the Speaker of the House of the United States Congress. China doesn't control anything that we do. Well, maybe they do. Why would Joe Biden 
go against House Speaker Pelosi actually came out and warned and suggested she not go. What kind of message did that send? Well, it sent Xi Jinping a message that Joe Biden is falling in line with China. Maybe it's again because of Hunter's deep, deep financial ties with Chinese big-time companies that Xi Jinping himself put Hunter Biden in direct contact with. And by the way, these companies combined, which literally are owned by the Communist Chinese Party, they invested $1.5 billion in a Hunter Biden-managed private equity firm. Once again, Hunter Biden, no experience in investments whatsoever, but the Chinese company gave them $1.5 billion to invest on the company's behalf. Just pointing out some obvious things. Lots of conflicts going on out there. Lots of conflicts. What do you got planned for the weekend? Got anything big going on? I mean, this is Christmas month. I know that you got to get out there and buy some presents. Do this. Don't let the pressure of the season, don't let personal problems that always seem to really get larger than they may have been several weeks before, just take over your thinking. Do this. And the reason I'm saying this now, we're not anywhere near the end of the show. Normally, this would be something I'd say at the end of the show. But while you're sitting there and we're going over all these things and talking about some of these things which are not comfortable, they're not about good things, everything's not rah-rah, happy and all that, we tend to get caught up in all those things and worry when we shouldn't be worrying because we're blessed to be where we are. There's always somebody, if you look at how bad things are with you or for you right now, you look around objectively, you're going to see there's always somebody that's got it worse than you, and there's always somebody that's got it better than you. Just be thankful where you are and hope and pray and believe for things to get better. But don't let that consume your mind and your life. It'll destroy you. It really will. It'll destroy your peace of mind. It'll destroy your relationships because you'll get combative. You'll begin to blame others for issues. And sometimes we do that without even knowing we're doing it. Don't get caught up in that. And let me, let me just say this. There's, there are people that when I said that, they're saying, you just don't know, Dan, I don't know. And I don't act like or think that I do know. But what I do know is the Christmas season is the Christmas season. It's about the same things every December. Hanukkah, the same time every December. Concentrate on the good things. Bad things? Let's just believe and pray together. They'll get better. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit. Lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward. 
think we can go through a day here and do service to you if we don't discuss at least a little bit about what's going on down at our southern border. Some days we don't even bring it up. Some days national media doesn't even bring it up. But that's not because it isn't an issue. It is an issue. And it will be until leadership in D.C. takes advantage of it and changes it, which can be done. Biden's wide-open U.S.-Mexico border is expected to see 2.6 million border crossers and illegals that are apprehended next year. 2.6 million that are apprehended. We don't know how many more than that will actually come across the border. For 2021, Stephen Coppitz with Princeton Policy Advisors projected that about 2 million border crossers and illegals would be apprehended. And by this year's end, fiscal year end, Coppets projected, about 2.3 million will have been apprehended. These estimates don't include the hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, folks, who will successfully cross the southern border. Now, Coppets projects that Biden's policies will see 26 million border crossers and illegal aliens apprehended along the border in 2023, another record-shattering annual level of illegal immigration. If the projections pan out, that means some 6.9 million border crossers and illegals will have been apprehended at the border since 2021, 2022, and 2023 under Joe Biden. This is a foreign population, just 2 million short of New York City's entire population. Based on the last two months, 2023 should set yet another record for illegal border crossings and by a substantial margin over 2022. This coming March, April and May in particular, could post some spectacularly ugly numbers. Coppets writes that until Republicans win critical House and Senate seats, along with the presidency in 2024, Democrats will set the political agenda and the border is likely to remain wide open. No longer, folks, is it even in question that that is the desire of Democrat Party leaders. They can't even give any other credible answer to why why 
do you want to let the southern border remain open? Why don't you want to close it? We've heard excuses, but never a logical reason. There's only one reason. They want a globalist population to control America. They are not thinking in terms of establishment, ethnicities, places of origin, skin colors. None of that matters anymore. They feel like that we need to become an enlightened nation that is more representative of the way the world looks instead of this being the United States of America with the majority of people that live here being born here and whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were here and helped create the nation to be what it is today. We don't deserve any of that. We're too blessed. We have too much. And those indigents that want to come here should just be allowed to come here. They don't like the fact that they are allowed to come here. But they, just like they, and when they go to any other country on the planet, you have to go through a legal process to be here and to be able to take advantage of the things that come along with being here legally. I got to be honest with you. Every day it seems to me like we legitimately are getting closer and closer to a real civil war in the United States. What makes a nation? What makes this nation? It's the people, the citizens of this nation make us what we are. How can anyone legitimately and honestly believe that criminals, and I'm not diminishing anybody when I say that, it's very obvious when it comes to who's here and who's here legally and who's not here legally, which are criminals. If we don't close our borders and if we don't adhere to the rule of law that those that we have asked to go represent us and pass laws regarding everything in the operations of our nation, if we look at what they pass, and we then arbitrarily say, we don't like it, and so we're not going to adhere to it. We're not going to accept it. That tears down the structure of what our nation is and what any other nation is that would adopt these same policies. Got to be honest with you. They tried it 10 years ago or less across Europe, They opened up, many of the European countries opened up to anybody that came across the Mediterranean. Refugees, people fleeing their countries for whatever reason or reasons. And they just let them come in. I was there for a part of this, and there were countries in Northern Europe that were totally devastated, overrun by immigrants who didn't believe in the rule of law 
and therefore did not adhere to the laws of those nations, and hundreds of thousands of natives in these countries found themselves becoming the targets of mass criminality. Women would not even leave their places of residence at night because if they did, it was almost certain they were going to be gang-raped or killed. Homes broken into, businesses shut down. Those things are not supposed to happen in nations that have the rule of law that runs that nation. How far is the United States away from that happening to us? You tell me. I don't know, but I can tell you this. When elected officials that represent us in number among the 535 in the House and the Senate, the ones that their predecessors passed duly representative laws of the people of the nation regarding legal and illegal immigration, if they're going to continue to turn their backs on it, we're facing the same thing. And let me say this. There were a bunch of people that rose and confronted that invasion from Northern Africa seven, eight years ago. There were massive deaths, shootings, break-ins, criminality, theft, rape, all kinds of criminal acts that these people had never seen in the abundance that they watched them happen in. And finally, they said, enough's enough. And you know what they did? They went back to enforcing the laws that their representatives had passed. And guess what happened? The criminality went way down instantaneously. We have a complicit administration and many state administrations in our 50 states that believe open borders is the way to go. And so they agree with those in federal office that say, we're just going to wink at the immigration laws. We're not going to enforce them anymore. If we ever did, we don't like them. Instead of going through the executive process, legislative process, to change the laws they don't like. You know why they won't do that? Because they know the people will not accept that. And they think they know what's best for the nation far more than the people that have lived here or paying taxes to keep it as it lawfully is supposed to be. What blows my mind the most about my fellow Democrat friends, I have some really close friends. Many of them I grew up with. We went to school together. We went to college together. They were hardcore conservatives that have just drunk the Kool-Aid. We don't deserve to have what we have, and we don't deserve to keep everybody on the planet from being a part of what we have. And so we need to just tear down the walls, every kind of literal or figurative wall, and let anybody and everybody that wants to come here, come here, because they deserve the same opportunities as we do. Those people and every person throughout United States history deserves the opportunity to achieve the same things that native-born Americans achieve. But there's a process to be able to get that right. And it's laid out in the United States Constitution, and it's passed into law 
by the United States People's Representatives in Congress, of which Joe Biden. He was in office when most of the federal immigration laws were passed. Many of them he wrote himself or he was part of, signed on to be a representative of these bills when they came to the U.S. Senate to be debated turned into bills that ended up at the then-president's desk and were signed into law. And yet today, Joe Biden benignly says, just ignore those, they don't matter. That's called the attack against the rule of law, the attack against the constitutional structure of the United States of America. And it's spitting in the faces of every legal immigrant throughout the last 260 years that has come here and worked diligently through the legal process to become American citizens and have found great opportunities in the greatest country on the planet because they do it the right way, the legal way. Fellow Americans, let me just say this. Unless and until you and I say enough's enough, Kids, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are going to be afraid to walk the streets of this nation because of the criminal acts that will be happening everywhere. Is every immigrant, illegal immigrant that comes, are they of those kind of people? No. But the very fact that they would come here, knowing they're coming here the way they're coming, is against our laws, and yet they still do it? That means they're thinking it's okay to break the laws in the United States of America. So I got away with it one time. I'm just going to thumb my nose at it because, look, I'm watching. They're not holding anybody accountable for coming into this country illegally. And don't even mention all of the real criminals, many of which have already been here, committed crimes, heinous crimes, and kicked out of the country, and they come back This administration is just winking at them and letting them come on in. We could tell you story after story about men and women, kids, all being raped, many murdered by illegal immigrants that were criminals. We don't think that every immigrant is bad, that every immigrant is a criminal. But when we have more than a hundred that we know of that have tried to get in that are on our own FBI's terrorist watch list and Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, they just wave them on in. There's no accountability. Do you know that illegal people that cross the government are treated 10 times better than you and I are by our own government. You and me, we're legal. We're here either native-born or we've immigrated legally. They get better treatment than you or I do. They are not being held to the laws and regulations of even border patrol and customs after they come in and they're caught. 
that kind of stuff, that word gets around and it finds its way across the ocean, across mountain ranges into Central and South America, and the word is get to the border of the United States and you'll never have to leave. Well, I thought you had to be, you know, we had to be uh, accepted legally. I thought that was stuff we had to do to get that opportunity. Well, there are laws that require it, but they're just letting everybody and anybody come aboard. You just need to go. A couple of things we've got to get to. Larry Kudlow. With what's going on financially, economically in the United States, and believe me, that has a lot to do with our immigration system. And it has a lot to do with why we need to get our handle on our immigration system because economically, where we are right now is close to me being just saying it sucks, but it's not getting any better. He weighed in on exactly what's going on economically. This is the real deal now. So far this year, we have official estimates for economic growth and inflation for the first three quarters or nine months of 2022. The results are very poor. First, the economy has not grown. Through the third quarter, real GDP is essentially flat for the year. Second, the inflation rate has come in over 7%. So a flatline economy... With a 7% plus price increase, those are numbers. They are factoids. That's all there is. Now, there's some evidence that inflation is slowing in the most recent figures, maybe to around 5% using a base rate that the Federal Reserve follows. But then again, the Cleveland Fed has a median CPI that's still around 7%. And as I've said before, the index of leading indicators is plunging, The M2 money supply growth has crashed, actually from about 30% to near zero. And the yield curve in the Treasury market between three-month T-bills and 10-year bonds has inverted, right? The short rates are above the long rates. The likelihood of a recession in 2023 is very high. Now, all that might bring inflation down, a recession, but it's a very blunt and painful way to do it. So... We have this lame duck Congress, which unfortunately may well embark on a lame duck spending spree that, if enacted, will reverse what little inflation progress has been made. As the Wall Street Journal editorializes today, federal spending has increased by roughly $5 trillion in the last two Biden years. That's what put the pressure on the Federal Reserve to go on a money-printing binge. But recent fiscal and monetary restraint may be badly broken. That's my worry. In their last gasp, House Democratic liberals are dealing for at least $150 billion in new spending for a so-called giant omnibus bill, and that would wreak havoc on proper budget processes and end what little fiscal restraint currently exists. And... It could well be much more, including a $1.6 trillion child tax credit expansion, which would provide parents with kids well over $100 billion a year with no work requirements. That's right, more welfare without work, which has become the radical democratic battle cry. 
Then there's more COVID money and Ukrainian aid and maybe some tax extenders all in, according to the Wall Street Journal editorial. Non-defense spending would rise another 10% on top of last year's 7%. And defense spending would increase nearly 10% on top of last year's 6%. This is not restraint. This will not restrain inflation. This will not provide any tax and regulatory supply-side incentives by reducing the burden of centrally planned big government. And the rumor is Republicans in the Senate are going to go along with this spending spree. Rumor is the GOP Senate leadership will make a deal on a so-called omnibus spending bill. And this is at the heart of the inflationary fiscal breakdown we've experienced in recent years. Four people will gather in a room and make a deal covering a couple thousand pages, maybe a couple of trillion dollars in new spending, and no one will know what's really in that package until it's voted on and then printed up. And even then, it will take months, if not years, to know what's there. And there will never be any true oversight or monitoring of how the taxpayer's money is being squandered by a small, selfish cadre of leaders who have very little interest for the public well-being and economic prosperity. There is no budget resolution for the next year. There are no committee meetings for the 12 appropriation bills, no expert witnesses to debate the merits of the policies or the spending levels. In other words, no regular order. And the Democrats, with Republican cooperation, are going to try to get this done in the lame duck session before the public can wake up to the fiscal damage and the potential for yet more inflation, more sinking real wages, higher grocery and energy bills, and a deeper recession. This is no way to conduct economic policy. There's a $6 trillion federal budget, and it just keeps growing, and it's time somebody, somebody, presumably Republicans, put an end to this fiscal insanity and return to proper policy and budget-oriented processes. Now, here I am, sitting in North Louisiana. I'm not a politician. Have no aspirations to become one. I'm an American. Business owner, entrepreneur, father, grandfather, friend. I'm just like most of you. You may not be a grandfather, but we're all regular folks, and we have to live within the structure in which we have legally put together, hopefully with friends and family members that are like-minded. What I wanted you to hear him say, Larry Kudlow say, he used the term regular order. Now, lame duck session, that means many of the Democrats that are in power now will not be in a month. January 3rd is when the House changes the Republican Party will control the House. So between now and then is a lame duck session. And so what he is talking about happening is Nancy Pelosi will get with Kevin McCarthy, who is going to be the Speaker of the House. She'll bring in her uh, minority party leader, and there will be four or five or six people in the House that will get together in a room and they'll come up with this trillion, multi-trillion dollar omnibus bill 
And they'll say it's full of all this kind of stuff. It's a big thing, but it's got all kinds of good things for the American people. And we're going to do what Nancy Pelosi said we had to do when Obamacare was in the process of being passed. You remember that? She got up in front of the American people and said, well, we don't know what's in the bill. We've got to pass the bill so we can find out what's in it. That's an omnibus bill. The only thing that is certain in an omnibus bill is it includes a bunch of spending. And this is no different. That's what they are pushing for. It cannot be allowed, folks. It cannot be allowed. And on that note, I'm going to say have a great weekend. Thank you for being here all week long. Thanks for sharing Friday. Bullet Point Offering. Start your weekend there tomorrow morning, Saturday. And we'll see you on Monday at TNN Live. i uh-huh.